Are we? Should we drink? What are we doing? I haven't. We, haven't we should probably first check levels because these <laughs> haven't, haven't been used in, in like forever. All right. Stop turning. You ready? Okay, do yours. Murder, murder, murder. Brunch, brunch, brunch. We're good. Um, intro. Intro. Yep. Who Whose turn is it? Oh, it's Clint. Clint does it all the time now. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's You've, the been voice. Oh. You've been doing you it. You are the voice. Yeah. Oh shit. Um. Welcome to Murder Brunch. We're the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Clinton. I'm Rachel. I'm Joe. And this is the podcast where we bring you two tales of murder and mayhem and discuss where a killer falls on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. Very good, except you got his name wrong. No, I'm just kidding. It's right. <laughs> I was about to say, I was replaying it in my head. I'm like, Michael Doctor? Or Dr. Michael Stone? No, we got it. We got it. I'm just joking. Michael Doctor. Michael Doctor? Michael Doctor. That's what um, you got wrong. First name, doctor. <laughs> All right, so we're very excited about the cocktails, so let's just dive into those real quick. These okay. are milk punch cocktails. Milk punch. Yes, they're made with apple brandy and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. I enjoy it. I yeah, like it's a, it. It's a milk punch cocktail. It's made with apple brandy, half and half, cinnamon, This vanilla. would be good with like a um, like a chocolate muffin. Yeah, it makes me think of like breakfast or, or like winter. And a cup of coffee. Yeah. Like I need. Or maybe mix this into your coffee as like your creamer. All right, so here we are again. We're back. We're back. We never left. <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> You've been sitting under your bed this whole time. We had quite the hiatus, but now we're back mm-hmm. with more murder and mayhem no. and brunch. And brunch. Which our brunch is weird today. Our brunch is weird today. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I frequently have large bowls of pasta and salad for brunch. All the time. So yes, we're having spaghetti and red sauce, and then a. How would you describe this salad? It's a spring mix with some orange and yellow bell peppers, diced cherry tomatoes, and some sliced cucumbers. And only the lettuce came out of a bag. I chopped up all of those fresh vegetables. Oh my god! And also, this is an all-day sauce. It cooked for about six hours yesterday. The spaghetti sauce? Yes. Oh, nice. Well, now From we know why scratch. he's like, he's like, everybody's going to be tasting the sauce <laughs> for the next week. No matter who comes to that door, everybody has to eat the sauce. Delivery people, whoever. Yeah. <laughs> I made a lot, and I'm not going to freeze it, so we have to eat it. <laughs> why aren't you going to freeze it? Because it'll just sit in the freezer mm-hmm. for about two and a half years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's making other all-day sauces. <laughs> it's a terrible cycle. <laughs> then we also have little cucumber sandwiches that Joe made. It's about the most brunchiest part of this brunch. I try to be genteel. They're good, though. That's right, they are. They feel right at home with my English garden outside the window for us to look at. Mm-hmm. So our first story today, we're drinking milk punch cocktails because those were very popular during the time period of my murderer. Ooh. So we're going pretty far back to the rise of Aaron Burr. Oh, I know who he kills. <laughs> I know, this is one that, that Clinton finally has. He's from I've heard of this. Mm-hmm. Very good. So Aaron Burr was born February 6th, 1756. And I there's a ton about Aaron Burr, obviously, because he is a, one of our founding fathers and all that stuff. I didn't want to get too much into his history, but 
like with all of our murderers, you do have to know where they come from to kind of help with motives and stuff like that. And Aaron Burr had a very colorful life story. I'm going to go ahead and, and mention one of my sources right now. I listened to a three-part episode of The Dollop, which is a historical podcast. We've, we've listed them as a source before. They're pretty great. And as they point out in The Dollop, Lin-Manuel Miranda should have done a musical on Aaron Burr instead of Alexander Hamilton, as you will soon find out why. Okay, so... Aaron Burr, he, he was incredibly brilliant from, from birth. Like, he, he just came out a genius, like, naturally a genius. He ran away at age four and was gone for four days and then just came walking back. Like, <laughs> just took care of himself as and you came do. back. Right. Um, of course, that is part of, uh, you know, the time period as well. But anyway. Nobody, I, like... Nope. He, wanna, he went on a walkabout and everyone was chill with it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just found that to be a really interesting childhood. Wait, he said he anecdote. was born in 1756, Six. so mm-hmm. he was in 1760. Yep. Just went out and about. He was probably going to a job interview. <laughs> he was raised by an uncle as his parents and maternal grandparents all died within a short time of each other. And wolves. He was clearly raised by wolves Obviously, on those four yes. days. That was, a, that was a rough four days. But his parents died, and then he went to his grandparents, and then they died, like, shortly after that. And so he was raised by his, his uncle, who they bummer. did not get along. They weren't, um, uh, they weren't very close. The uncle seemed to take in a lot of kids. I'm skipping a lot. Of, see, I feel bad because I'm skipping over a lot of stuff that the dollop covers. So please, trust me, just go listen to the dollop. It's, I mean, they did it into three episodes. It's a lot of history. But anyway, he was incredibly smart. And he applied to Princeton at age 11. But he couldn't attend until he was age 13. So Princeton's like, yeah, you've got all the credentials, but you can't come in until you're old enough. Yeah, 11's <laughs> just way too young. 13. Way too young. 13, though. 13. is <laughs> okay. fine. He graduated at age 16 from college. Had very poor health. He used to do things like starve himself so he could study more. Because he found out that if he ate a lot of food, he'd get tired and he wouldn't be able to study. So he just stopped eating. He just needed to cut out those carbs. Yeah, I know, right? That's what, They didn't know that information. They didn't have keto diets, I guess, <laughs> back then. But he was short and he was thin, but he was very good looking. He, he, was, he had a very pretty face. He just didn't have the best health. He worked under Benedict Arnold and George Washington during the Revolutionary War and the, you know, occupation of the British. But he and Washington had a mutual dislike for one another. I heard that somewhere. Yeah, I know. I know. A lot of this is like, oh, yeah, that's the musical. Yeah, I know. (laughs) He was an outspoken feminist, which was interesting. He worked for women to get the vote, and he worked to abolish slavery immediately when the colonists took over. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know. I did not know that. Yeah. And like working for women to get the vote. His mother was also a genius. His mother was was a certifiable genius. They, her, his parents were both into religion. They were, his father was a reverend and his, his mother was basically Wait, a theologian. Wait, I thought they were geniuses. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so he, he did have time with a very strong female presence in his childhood. He had this crazy idea that, quote, women had a soul. Apparently that was not <laughs> very popular at the time. But he he believed in the power of women as far as like leadership roles and things like that. So. Was that ever like an argument of like, why can't women have the vote? Well, you guys don't have souls. Probably. Definitely you were too emotional to vote. That's I did I did read a survey once, mm-hmm. taken at the time, of top 10 reasons why women shouldn't get the vote. And the number one reason was because men would have to listen to them more. Yeah. Fun, right? (laughs) They already talked too much. (laughs) Um, He also wanted to distribute Tory money when when Tories were prosecuted because he believed in a democracy and he believed that Tories were, you know, 
we defeated them in the war so that any of their rights were forfeited and if they committed such things as breaking the law and that their wealth should be distributed that was something that hamilton did not believe in hamilton thought that they should keep their money that way they could still maintain positions of power and just be like brought into the fold of the new united states mm. yeah I'm, I'm how with, well did that work out yeah i'm with burr on that one <laughs> he was quite the gentleman he was very good looking as i mentioned he was a ladies man but he never spoke about his conquests he never talked about the women he was involved with which again hamilton did all the time <laughs> so that was pretty interesting he fell in love with uh theodosia when she was married to a british soldier she was not a good-looking woman she like the, by all accounts i guess she was not considered a raving beauty but she was she had a great personality yeah <laughs> she was smart and funny and brave and she used her home as a base for washington while she was married to a british so- soldier that's pretty ballsy that sounds like they had like a contentious marriage yeah and she's like, well, fuck you. Maybe. I think it was a case of, like, he was a lot older than her and, and stuff like that. But anyway. Well, fuck you. You're so old. <laughs> so the the husband eventually died. and But she had five kids. And then she, when she married Aaron Burr, she already had five kids. I think Theodosia, I think Aaron was her third husband. I think she was widowed twice. And then she got married. This about her? She killed both her husbands. I know, right? And together they had one daughter, Theodosia Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, not Junior, but little Theodosia. The second. Who they called Theo. So I'll refer to her as Theo going forward. But anyway, Theodosia did have five children, and apparently Aaron was mad about all of them. He loved all of his kids. He was a very good father, very attentive, especially Theo. He was just, you know, over the moon about her. And they were married for 12 years until her death. So, and he wasn't necessarily faithful all 12 of those years, but I think for the most part, as far as the social mores of that time, he was pretty... He was pretty close to her. And and not only that, but like they were separated a lot and they used to write letters to one another. And these letters are like, they have like thousands. They loved writing to each other. He treated Theodosia as the brilliant woman she was and would send her articles and books that he found interesting that he thought she might like to read. Like he treated her like a partner and you didn't always get that. Just like now we text our spouses and send them links of things that we've been reading. Dick pics. Yeah. <laughs> Memes. <laughs> Um, and again, he was very proud of you. He insisted she was to be educated, which was, again, not very popular at the time. She could read and write by the age of three. And Theo could do a lot more stuff. I didn't list everything, but she, like, knew a bunch of languages. She could do, she could do a lot of shit. She was amazing. He was super close to Theo. Um, when Theo got married, her son was named Aaron Burr Alston. That was, so he had a little grandson named after him. And just a little tangent, Theo and her husband, Joseph Alston, they were the first apparently recorded to uh, honeymoon at Niagara Falls. Ooh, <laughs> trendsetters. I wonder what brought them to it as a... I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, okay. Yeah, sure. I want to spend the weekend wet. <laughs> I don't think you, like, stay in the falls. I think you, you don't know what I it think was you like close by, but I don't think you're, like... Well, I mean, that's the one yeah. thing that I remember visiting the falls. Mm-hmm. It's like you could not go anywhere where you weren't well, you constantly spent, wet. You spent all your time in that barrel, so I can imagine. <laughs> <how> that was. <laughs> it, it was, was one time. <laughs> it was all right. So let's talk about the the famous murder. Of course, is Aaron Burr is responsible for the death of Alexander Hamilton. So we're going to talk. Yes. About, I know. <laughs> Surprise. Spoiler. Spoiler. We're going to talk a little bit about their relationship. What? I only listened to the first song of Hamilton. Now I understand. 
Um, okay, so Byrne and Hamilton butted heads over Hamilton's inability to separate work and personal relationships. Um, Hamilton's MO was to attack people's character rather than their policy sometimes. So he would, he, you know, he was known for writing all these letters, right? But a lot of the letters were like, well, that guy's a dick face, you know, and that's why we shouldn't vote for him rather than that guy's tax policy is not what we want or whatever. For instance, Burr won Hamilton's father-in-law Senate seat in 1791, and Hamilton held it over for him for the rest of the relationship, despite the fact that the father-in-law, Mr. Schuyler, you know, of mm-hmm. the Schuyler sisters, he got his seat back in, like, the next election. So it's not like Burr had it for a long time, and Burr only went for it because that was the seat he thought he could win, and it was politics. It wasn't supposed to be a personal attack, but Hamilton took it as one. Aaron Burr did become VP under Jefferson during one of his terms, but it was contentious because, again, they also did not get along very well. In 1804, Burr was running for New York governor, and Hamilton sent out letters talking shit about him. That was just his his favorite thing to do. Then he was replaced as a VP candidate. At one point, Burr was the... Oh, God, I'm going to get this wrong. He was the general attorney. No, that doesn't sound right. Attorney general? Attorney general. I think he was the attorney general for, like, Wisconsin, and the governor of Wisconsin was going to run for president, and he was going to take Burr on as his VP, but... Hamilton's letters talked him out of it. And so he lost that too. So he lost the governorship for New York and he lost the VP candidacy. So he was like really pissed about all of it. And he blamed Hamilton for his fall from politics. The last interview that Hamilton gave regarding Burr, he quoted, the writer said that Hamilton says something about Burr that I cannot print here because it is too despicable. Now, Aside from the fact that we have no idea what he said and despicable is harsh language, despicable also has the connotation that Burr was sleeping with Theo. Because at this point, Theo's an adult. Oh. Yeah. And so, so it has incest implications? Implications, yeah. Which are probably completely unfounded, but the fact that Hamilton even alluded to as much sent Burr like over the edge. That was the, that was the last straw for him. So it wasn't even the politics. He was willing to let the politics go, but once you start picking on Theo... That was when he stepped in and he couldn't stay apart. Because not only that, but after all the letters that Hamilton sent out about Burr, about this guy's an idiot, he doesn't stand for anything, he's wishy-washy. But if you look at his politics, Burr did stand for, like, the abolishing of slavery and, and the right for women's rights. Like, he had strong opinions about stuff. He just didn't, like, run off at the mouth like Hamilton did. And when Hamilton wrote all those letters, Burr never rose to the occasion. He never responded to them. He just kind of took them and was like, fine, write what you're... He didn't even, he didn't even attack Hamilton with the Reynolds pamphlet for... You know, Hamilton cheating on his wife. That wasn't even Burr. That was, I think that was Madison or someone who got involved with that. So that was a big deal. So this was the first time that Burr's like, okay, now it's been too much. It's been like 25 years or whatever of abuse. I'm done with this, right? That is when he challenges Hamilton to a duel. July 11th, 1804, Hamilton is shot in the duel. They're unsure who shot first or if Hamilton intentionally lost, but he did die the next day. That's the big question of what happened at the duel there's the whole thing of hamilton wore his glasses which it's like okay well he he wanted to make sure he played with his gun a bunch to make sure it was aiming right like he kept sighting it and it's like well why would you do that if you were going to throw away your shot you know things like that so there's a lot of questions about it but anyway they both fired and later on people came out and they're like oh aaron burr fired first before hamilton even did anything blah 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 and it's like no their seconds gave the story that they both fired at the same time it's just Burr got him. Mm-hmm. So now Burr is seen as a murderer and he flees to Philadelphia and becomes involved with a plot 
to invade Mexico and create an independent government in anticipation of a Spanish conflict. They think a Spanish a war with Spain is coming. So he and a couple buddies are like, well, let's just go to Mexico and take it over and make it our own government because they didn't like where the United States was going. And how did that work out? It did not go well. <laughs> it did not go well. His partner betrayed him to Jefferson directly and he was arrested for treason. He was later acquitted, which I thought was interesting. So I'm not sure exactly. I read the legal documents. I'm just not smart enough to understand how <laughs> he was acquitted. But the judge said he was acquitted. Well, I don't understand. I mean, like. He plotted. You know, but I mean, plotted to, not to do anything to the government. He plotted to leave this, the country. Yeah. To start his own. Yeah. That's I mean, I guess not, that's. Yeah. Like, but it might have been in contention with the United States. Like to, to maybe. Maybe ally with spain to go i don't know but even know. that that's <laughs> well know. that would be treason people are allowed to have ideas <laughs> so he was acquitted he's fine um and he lit he fled to europe so he stayed in europe for a little bit um writing theo as he went and stuff like that but he stayed in europe he, he talked to napoleon about taking over florida but that fell through can you imagine aaron burr might have been like leader of florida at one point we'd all be speaking french we'd all be speaking french but eventually he did come back to New York in 1812 and practice law. He had a lot of debt. So he just, he's like, I'm just going to work. I'm just going to work and mind my own business. That was his plan. Theo was supposed to visit him in 1813 and she was lost at sea. So she died. So like he watched everyone he cared about die in his life. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but when she was lost at sea, she had a giant trunk of all of his papers and notes and books and stuff that he wrote. And they were all lost at sea. So there's a lot of documentation from Burr of like brilliant, you know, statesmanship stuff. And like, I'm sure just amazing pieces of work that are just gone because the ship went down. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting theories about like pirates and and all kinds of stuff. And and Theo might be alive somewhere and, you know, all this crazy stuff. But anyway, for the most part. Well, they didn't find her boat. They, they, they did. They did find the boat. I think they did. Because they considered it a shipwreck. Oh, well, I thought that was one of the things about, because that kind of shows up in Unsolved Mystery Things yeah. is her boat is presumed to have sank. Right. But the actual boat itself was never recovered. That's a good question. So you might be right. But so all of his works went, went down in the ocean and he lost his beloved daughter. And her grandson, Aaron Burr Alston, he also died in childhood because everybody dies in childhood in this day and age. So he's seen his parents die, his grandparents die, his daughter, his beloved Theodosia, his, his grandson. Like, everybody dies around Aaron Burr, and it's really heartbreaking. In 1833, he married a wealthy widow, because, again, he needed money. Her name was Elizabeth Brown Junel. Junel? Junel? J-U-N-E-L? Junel? Mm. Um, but he spent much of her money. He spent a lot of it, and she was pissed. So <laughs> she divorced him, and three years later, on grounds of adultery... But he died the day the divorce decree went through on September 4th, 1836. So that is the story of Aaron Burr and his duel with Alexander Hamilton. So did he in his life then kill only one person? Yes. I mean, he did fight in a war. So presumably he killed men that way if he saw combat. But the death of Alexander Hamilton was illegal. It was done in New Jersey where duels are legal. But he lived in New York, so he would have been arrested for it. He was, it was a scandal. It was huge. So it's definitely a murder, not a, a wartime thing or something like that. Well, but I just looked up Theo's in, boat. Theo's boat, the Patriot. Mm-hmm. 
she left on December 31st, 1812, and then was never heard from again, and they never found the ship. Yeah. So it's really sad, though, because Theo, Theo again, like her mother and her father, was a genius. You know, I mean, she was super smart and very capable, and just they would have, uh, the Burr line seems like they would have accomplished a lot, like if they had been given a chance, and I don't know. And again, the dollop three-part episodes are just chock full of what Aaron Burr could have accomplished and what he did accomplish in his lifetime, and it is fascinating. So I'm kind of on board with Miranda should have done one about Hamilton. Apparently the book that Hamilton worked off, the Ron Chernow Hamilton book, is not as strongly sourced as some other pieces of history, of historical tombs. And that was what Miranda used primarily for his musical. But again, we're not getting into an argument on whether Hamilton is historically accurate or not. That musical's some good shit. Yeah, it's it's good (laughs) shit. It's fun music. And I think it's mostly, I think Miranda's whole thing is to show the dream of what U.S. should be now. And also, you take any of those men from that time, and they all have a story Mm -hmm. to tell in some way or another. So Sure, sure. And also, they did it so young. (laughs) Everyone accomplished so much more so quickly because you died early, admittedly. Well, well, not that early. Did you know, like the mortality rate of of the past? People overblow it because they're because all the children deaths. Children deaths. Yeah. Well, it's they didn't have the education system that we had either to achieve anything. So there are kids that left home at twelve to get a job. Yeah. And then they got a job, you know. And then by the time they were twenty, they were the captains of their industry. It's just interesting stuff. Like I said, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole as far as Hamilton and all no, that. No, we need to discuss how <laughs> evil Aaron Burr is. Right. So, let's, so I mean, Aaron Burr was capable of cold-blooded, premeditated murder. All right? That is, that is what the duel consists of. You are going out there to kill somebody. So, as that is the case, we are going to consider him for the scale. And the scale I'm referring to is what, Clinton? This is Dr. Michael Stone's Scale of Evil with 20 categories. 22. 22 categories. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> with number one being Rachel. Uh, oh, God. Justifiable homicide? Justifiable Ooh. homicide. Ask, ask Joe the next one. <laughs> no. And category 22 being psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive. The motive need not always be sexual. Very good. And you can find more about the scale in Dr. Stone's theories in his book, The Anatomy of Evil. Okay, so I wrote down two scale spots that I thought Aaron Burr could be in because obviously he doesn't torture people. This is not done out of some kind of weird malicious psychopathy, right? But he did kill someone. So here we go. I thought he could be in four, which is killing in self-defense, but provocative to the victim. He planned the duel, but someone was going to try to kill him during the duel. So, Or eight, murders with a smoldering rage, but sometimes they're mass murders. And so that doesn't really, he's obviously not a mass murderer, but he did have decades of fury towards Hamilton. Like they, they were enemies. They were nemeses. Is there a category in which revenge killers are? So I was just looking because, so, and so obviously for our listeners, the scale falls into different categories, not just the 22, but broader categories that basically go from little or no psychopathy to very psychotic at, at the other end. Mm. And I assume we are aiming for categories here then Prior. with little or no yeah. psychopathy. Um, I would say that, wouldn't you? I mean, oh, yeah. no other no other events in his life kind of lead towards a... And no one has ever, other than maybe Hamilton, yeah. has said that he had any kind of signs of... Yeah. I mean, just his relationship with his, with his wife and his daughter. And I mean, like, I think he... 
he was a kind and good man for the most part. So that essentially leaves us with one to eight. Right. Is there one for revenge? Is, it, is there one even past eight that has revenge? I don't, I don't remember seeing one for revenge. Not, not really, no. There's like jealous lovers. Yes. Yeah. Jealous lovers is number two. Self-defense, as you mentioned, four. And then uh, impetuous hot-headed murders is six. I considered that one, but this is so planned. I mean, you pick a day and time. It's written in letters. You have to <laughs> you you have people I mean? to go with you. Yeah, you bring a doctor. Like, it's, it's very um, methodical. Doctor didn't help nobody. No, <laughs> he tried. I guess we, we can quickly go through some of these. One, do we think it's justifiable homicide? And I think no. No. I mean, Hamilton wasn't physically attacking him or anything like right. that. Number two, jealous lovers, crime of passion kind of thing. I considered that as well because there are theories about like Hamilton's love life kind of went across the spectrum. And I'm like, what if there was some like, I don't know. Mm, they liked each other <laughs> or whatever. Burn Hamilton hate fucking. Is that what yeah, I'm hearing? Yeah. Yes. But I don't think that was the case. On board for this. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a fan fiction somewhere. <laughs> Not even that. Like there are like letters between him and Lawrence where they might have had like a relationship like Hamilton and John Lawrence. I'm forgetting his name. Mm. Oh, I know, there, not, there are lots of whispers not of, not of not Hamilton for Hamilton, sure. Yeah. I think Hamilton just enjoyed life. I think he was a very vivacious personality. Well, he almost died like 10 times before he got it. Maybe that's the difference. Hamilton faced death a bunch of times. Burr watched death around him. So Burr became cautious, whereas Hamilton became impetuous. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Willing companions of killers? No. no. Killing in self-defense, but provocative towards them. I think I think, I think that's, that's really one. going to yeah. be... Because essentially you set up the scenario where you're going to kill this... Right. Have to kill this person. Right. But it's interesting because that might be the same category you would use for people who are like, come over so I can eat you. You know what I mean? <laughs> but... And the, I don't put those as the same levels of evil. But that's... So it says that it's... What, self-defense, but... Extremely provocative. But you're provocative. So I don't think it's self-defense if you're going to eat somebody because they have to be attacking you. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's just... What about, like, yeah. fight this is that's more just, just goading and goading and goading yeah. someone yeah. until they attack you. That's justifiable homicide. <laughs> <laughs> They're willing. You're hungry. <laughs> the oven's already preheated. <laughs> Gross. You don't want to waste it. All right. Any I other? This, this is an all-day sauce. <laughs> We're not refrigerating it. Now get in that pot. Uh, well, let's look at um, other people that we have. We've got our girls. That's the only one that's made it to four. Yeah. Is our sisters who and uh, Hani Shaft who and took on the, the Nazis, and they mm. were fucking amazing. They're yeah. you know kudos to them forever. But I guess Aaron Burr would, whereas his, um, his motive may not have been as noble, his cause is about the same as what he was trying to accomplish. I can't think, of, I mean, and then what was the other one? I said also eight. Do you want to look at that one more time? Sparked by smoldering rage, which sometimes results in mass murder, which those are the ones that I think of. It's just like the people that they're like, I'm going to blow up this building yeah. because you have pissed me off for the last time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did reach a... I guess a breaking point when they start coming after Theodosia, but always seems to be like the smoldering rage thing. It's like an instant. 
You well, know? smoldering is, is the de- by definition but no, not but like, But not, like, the smoldering range you can document or whatever, but when they decide to act on it, it's like an instant thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's not like after that interview was published, she walked over to Hamilton's house and shot him. Right. Yeah. It's, yes. there's literally a straw that breaks the camel's back and then you walk into your room and get a gun and shoot your family. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that, you know, eight being higher than a four is more evil. Yeah. So if you, in a moment of rage sparked by this long time furnace of hatred, mm-hmm. is considered more evil than Planning goading <laughs> someone into attacking you I, just so you can kill them. Well, honestly, that gives us the room to do stuff like the the Overstegen sisters and stuff like that because they obviously were not bad people. They were good right. people and so they shouldn't be like an eight. They are and not evil. You're not as evil because you're not ma- you're might be goading someone but they have to make that decision to to take it to the next level. That's and true. And then you just rise to the occasion. <laughs> All right. So are we seeing four for I think I think Amber? four is an accurate description yes. of the events you described. I agree. Okay. Aaron Burr is a four. Excellent. Unrelated. Well, yes. not unrelated. Actually, fairly related. But uh, I can remember a series of Got Milk commercials yes. from the 90s. And the famous one with the guy who is inside the museum mm-hmm. of Aaron Burr. And a trivia question pops up on the radio. But he's just eaten some peanut butter. And he <laughs> just can't answer the question. Yep. And he works in like a museum. Yes. Right? There's literally like the bullet is right next yep. to him. And... Uh, that's Aaron Burr. I don't know any what you're talking about. You don't like I the don't. radio. So he wants he calls into the radio station. And they're like, "Okay, do you know the answer?" And he's like, "You don't remember this?" No. My God, that is like classic commercial history. Maybe you're just old. Or maybe we had a joint hallucination. If you remember this commercial, go ahead and write in to murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. What do you call that? The Mandela effect? Yes. Yes. What if it wasn't Aaron Burr in the commercial? What if it was actually something else, but you and I remember Aaron Burr? It was Armand Burr. (laughs) No, it was like Calvin Coolidge, but they got it. We have it completely wrong. So, okay. So that is uh, Aaron Burr. And are we pausing for cake? Yes. (laughs) All right. I'm for cake. Time out. Listeners, for cake, against cake. <laughs> right, is that murderbrunchbunch <laughs> at gmail.com. Subject cake. There is only one right answer to this, by the way. <laughs> you will be judged. All right, I'm ready whenever you are. You ready, Clinton? I am ready. All right, let us move on to our second story of the day. Usually the story has to do with an unsolved murder or a mysterious disappearance, but today it has neither. So it is a solved present person. (laughs) Got it. Yes. Okay. It's aliens. (laughs) Wrong podcast. Um, All right. The time, 2011. Recent. The place, Russia. Oh, this is another one about Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, Hamilton was a fascist. I just want to throw that out there. Again, you got to listen to the podcast. But I just want to throw that. Go ahead. (laughs) Anything else? No, I'm good. Me, 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 me. Me, me, me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you very much. All right. The police in Nizhny uh, sure. uh, Novgorod. 
How would you pronounce that? The that two in a classic story of Joe's with unpronounceable cities, right? <laughs> you always do. That. Uh, yeah, I would say Nizhny, Nizhny Novgorod. Yes. Okay. So that's Let's call it the begin. Okay. The double. By end. the way, I have no expertise in Russian. I'm no? winging that. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. You? <laughs> in a town in Russia, <laughs> the police um, are knocking on the door of Natalie. Mos- oh, Why do you do this to yourself? I don't know. I practice too. <laughs> do you want us to take a look at this one? And Natalie, Natalie, Mos- Moskvin, Moskvin. Yeah, I would say a Natalie Moskvin. 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 Okay. Yeah. So they're knocking on the door of a Natalie. Or Anatoly. 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 Yeah, that's probably okay. Anatoly. Anatoly. That's the European version. Anatoly. Anatoly. Anatoly Moskvin. Moskvin was a highly regarded historian and researcher. He was an expert on and had an advanced degree in Celtic studies. He had mastered 13 languages. I bet he could pronounce these names. We're going to have to title this, you know, the episode of the geniuses. Uh Yeah. Um, He was many times published, including being a constant contributor to a weekly publication entitled Necrologies. 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 And he had a special interest in the local cemeteries. Oh, no. He had claimed to have visited 752 cemeteries and had created maps and detailed histories of each. One of his colleagues described his abundance of work as priceless. The police on this day were knocking on his door because they had been investigating a string of grave desecrations. Over the past few months, several graves of Muslim girls had been disturbed, and in some cases, the corpses had been stolen. While investigating, they found Moskvin lurking around a cemetery, and though that was not unusual for him, police decided to make sure to do their due diligence. Fair. Mm-hmm. Upon entering his home... Just a quick Q&A. A cup of tea. <laughs> upon entering his home, the police found just a complete mess. It was definitely the house of a hoarder. Well, he's a historian researcher. Yeah. <laughs> there were stacks of papers and books, trash, knickknacks all over the place. Very little room to move around. And most weird, he had a collection of 25 to 29 life-size porcelain dolls. Oh, no. There is a video Uh of them entering his house and seeing the state of it. Is it like body cam footage? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Have you seen it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Some of these dolls were a little strange as it was (laughs) Moskvin's hobby to make them. So they had the appearance of being very homemade. Uh, Their limbs were stuffed nylon. Many had sculpted wax faces. When moved, some would make noises or play music because he would put small toys or music boxes in their chests. Unfortunately, under closer inspection, the police discovered that these dolls were, in fact, the mummified bodies (gasps) of young girls, each between the age of 3 and 20. Oh, gosh. He did not kill any of these girls. As it turns out, not only was he... In fact, the grave robber responsible for the rash of missing Muslim bodies, but he had been stealing freshly buried girls since 2009. Yeah, so he's like, I didn't just steal Muslim girls. Come on, guys. <laughs> Equal opportunity. I love them all. <laughs> Yikes. No dudes. 
No dudes. They found photos taken of each gravestone and doll making manuals throughout the house. And though they only found 25 to 29 dolls, air quotes, they also found body parts in process of becoming mummified and suspect that he may have been involved to upwards of 150 grave disturbances. He was immediately arrested. What a, <laughs> what a hobby. <laughs> a quote from allthatsinteresting.com. Quote, Moskvin admitted that he would stuff the decaying corpses with rags. Then he would wrap nylon tights around their faces or fashion doll faces onto them. He would also insert buttons or toy eyes into the girl's eye sockets so that they could, quote, watch cartoons with him. Uh... <sighs> He uh, stated that he was lonely and that one of his greatest wishes was Weird. To... Why didn't he have any friends, Joe? <laughs> he worked weird hours. Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> Why are you so lonely, Natalie? <laughs> we are terrible people. Oh, he's a terrible person. Yes. <clears throat> all right. Sorry. He is. We're all in agreement. Okay, um, so one of his greatest wishes is to have his own children. Though all evidence points to the fact that Moskvin never had any anything remotely close to an intimate relationship with anyone ever. Oh, no. no. So he was probably a virgin. He, he's in the late 20s? No, no, no. He's 45. 45. Yeah, he's Perfect. 45. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had even tried to adopt a child, but was denied by agencies because he did not make enough money. Oh, interesting. I guess they never made it to the part where we have to do a house inspection. <laughs> yeah, right. <sighs> he was charged with about a dozen crimes, and he confessed to 44 counts of abusing graves and deceased bodies. Mm. He abused both. Yes, of course. Um, the weirdest thing when I was reading this, though, is that he they found all of his quote-unquote dolls and stuff like that, and then they found, like, three or four like in a garage or something like that he's like i just don't like those anymore (laughs) (laughs) they were a phase i've aged out of that so and that and he said he'd been doing it for a really long time so for nine years for about nine years so were there ones that he he had and maybe reburied or anything like that he never reburied them in fact the the first victim that he had he still had Mm. with him she was like his favorite of course you Um, never forget your first mm. Um, his neighbors and colleagues were shocked. They knew he was weird <laughs> and had quirks, but would have never guessed that the terrible smell in his apartment building was coming oh, from corpses. It was an apartment? They figured it was just the basement. Oh, wow. So every Russian basement smells like dead people, apparently. <laughs> oh, no. His parents were also shocked and stated... We saw these dolls, but we did not suspect they were dead bodies inside. We thought it was a hobby to make such big dolls and did not see anything wrong with it. Oh, my God. I mean, I... so so to step back from that statement for a moment. Sure, First, sure. now let's, let's, let's create a scenario here where a person was creating life-sized porcelain dolls that weren't corpses. Sure. Happens all the time. Would that in and of itself be alarming? I think it would definitely but, deserve some questions. So that's the thing. If your friend is making life-size porcelain Victorian female dolls and does not have at least an Etsy shop, 
then we, we need to talk. We, yeah, maybe some investigation needs to happen. But like they were, they saw them in his house, so they might have like yeah touched them and moved them and like you you oh, couldn't yeah. tell. And did, but then again, these are all also they're older people, right? right? They're like in their seventies when this happened, and they're his parents. So and you want to deny? They anything. probably didn't go to his house very often because they're Who like would? his house stank, and there's nothing you can't sit on anything. <laughs> there's dolls fucking everywhere. Yeah, um, and you can't <laughs> move around. There's stacks of garbage everywhere. Right. So they probably didn't go very often. But also, when they would go, they would look around, take the dolls out, and be like, oh, yeah, this is normal. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? Even the hoarding problem. Again, yeah. if you look at the video, the hoarding problem yeah, in itself it's really bad. is indicative to some kind of mental health issue. So they were just in denial about what kind of state their son was in. I would think so. Or they weren't educated mm. to see mental illness. Yeah. I'd be like, you know what? You need to clean up your fucking room. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I did not raise you like this. <laughs> you store your bodies in the fridge like the rest of us. <laughs> All right. So, however, how do we, how do we agree that his name was? Anatoly. Anatoly Moskvin uh, did not go to jail. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and sent to a psychiatric facility. The psychiatrist at the facility have said that he has shown improvement. And in 2018, they tried to put him on a kind of outpatient program. He's that making w- little dolls now. <laughs> <laughs> he only, he's like, I just need a finger bone. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, they were going to put him in a, um, a treatment plan that he would receive his visits or medication or whatever he's doing from home. Mm. But the prosecutors and victims' families shut that down real quick. After all, Moskvin did tell the victims' families at trial, quote, you abandoned your girls. I brought them home and warmed them up. And allegedly told authorities to not bother reburying the girls too deeply as he would simply unbury them when he was released. Okay, so he's he's a threat to to their society. Now, he said those things, like, during trial. Before he said So that was in 2012, before his you know, psychiatric help, but still. So they're thinking of releasing him. When were they thinking about releasing him? 2018. And what is, what is it? Is he out and about? Or? No, no, no. They, they're like, no, no he needs to be there like, for the yeah. rest of his life. Yeah. So it might be like a parole thing where he comes up for release every so many years. And then people can stand up and be like, he unburied my daughter and made her into a doll. <laughs> you know? So. Which I guess, so, I mean, silver lining. No, oh, please. Can't wait. He didn't kill anyone. Like, he True. never harmed any living people. He shoved buttons into people's eyes. <laughs> into corpses' eyes. Yeah. And probably hollowed out their bodies to fill them with sawdust or something. Because you can't leave organs in there. Sawdust oh, no, I guess if they were involved. Yeah, they should have yeah, already there's, been. There's yeah. certain yeah. things that had already been done. You also don't know what he did with them. Yeah. That's absolutely <laughs> true. But at least this, though, is... Uh, Tea parties. You know, uh, uh, again, no no living person He's not suffered a physically He's not a due to him. <laughs> Woo! In the clear there. Oh, I can imagine... Tea parties and the scene from Toy Story mm-hmm. where Buzz doesn't have his arm. He's like, I'm Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Anyway, so in his last publication to Necrologies, dated October 26, 2011, he seemed to shine a light 
as to where and why his obsession with death came from. He told of an incident in 1979 when he was 13 years old. He wrote that a group of men all in black suits stopped him on his way home from school. These men forcefully escorted him to the funeral of an 11-year-old girl. He was taken to the front next to her coffin and made to kiss her corpse in a strange pseudo-wedding ceremony. He wrote that the mother of the deceased girl then placed wedding bands on both of the children's fingers. Whoa. If this is true, it was a very strange happening. But being that the only source for this story is from a publication that he himself wrote, it may very well be some fantasy that he made up and romanticized in his head. Right. There's that meme that floats around where it's like, there's a culture that when times of pandemics and plagues and stuff like that, they marry two orphans in the hopes of breaking the curse. I don't know, something crazy like that. And so that's what made me think of that. But again, that is an internet meme. I have no idea if that's based in any kind of reality. So that's yeah. weird. Again, being I that mean, he- you could argue like the whole like obviously this was this wasn't really in the past. It's like the, the, he would have been 11 in the 80s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was 13 in 1974. Or 1979. Oh, okay. So even, but even in the, the 70s, mm-hmm. he was, I mean, that's not that far away. It's not like we're talking about like medieval times where they're like, she has to be married before she goes to the afterworld. Right. right. But you don't know. I don't, I don't. So like the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah. I don't know what their customs are. Right. So, and then there's also, like, there's a prevalence of, like, gypsy culture and things like that. So, I don't know. Oh, I don't think was... we use the word gypsy anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. I think it's, I think it's Romani. Okay. I think Romani? So. Yeah. The Romani culture and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess you only use the word gypsy when you're talking about my big fat gy- gypsy wedding in America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen that show? No. It is not cool. Um, <laughs> but, um... So if it did happen and it had some kind of like cultural significance, which you would think that he would know. Right. So he w- it wouldn't surprise him or something. Yeah, because like that. nobody like pulls also the fact that you're pulling a random kid off the street. That, yeah. You would think that maybe like in your family or in your neighborhood, yeah. you would or in your community, especially if he's like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm not part of this church. And you would think that they would be, you know, so Personally, with schizophrenia, it probably came on, you know, if we go by statistics when he hit puberty or, you know, in his late 20s, late teens, early 20s. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's when it, you know, often happens. Now, if it came on when he was 13 and he had some kind of episode and then he fantasized and romanticized that. Like maybe he did go to a funeral, but he wasn't asked to do all these things. That yeah, or that. maybe he saw this happen, but it was a different kind of culture and he didn't quite understand what was going on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's having some kind of weird fantasy life with death. He, I mean, he he started, he, he thought about it, obviously. He thought about it and planned it for a long time because he didn't start doing anything until he was in his mid-30s. Mm-hmm. Well, that we know of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that's gross. Yep. But a fun uh, change in pace for yeah. murder. <laughs> so when they reburied those women, did they take all the doll stuff off of them? I would hope so. Like the doll faces. Or I, do you even rebury them or do you just like cremate, cremate them at that point? Because you don't know what's been done to them. I don't know. I Probably there's a... 
this i mean he had a lot so depending yeah. their families probably kind of ran the gambit of you know just barrier or, or maybe have another funeral or something like that i don't know yikes well maybe he deserves a little more time put away <laughs> maybe he really shouldn't get out. back out yeah maybe all. he shouldn't get back out also what is he gonna do no one wants to work with him anymore <laughs> that's true it's interesting like he was a historical researcher he must have had some kind of like acclaim in the in the academic world he and stuff. absolutely did he yeah. was considered he he was considered a genius mm-hmm. he was considered an expert in certain fields i mean like even to throw that all away and just be seen as a creeper well this is how you end up with like the frankensteins I yeah mean, I know, like right? literal genius with a very weird side <laughs> like with a very weird side hustle yeah mm-hmm. Well, on that note, are we um, are we shutting down this this episode? <laughs> did we do everything we needed to do? I think we did. We put a guy on the scale, and we talked about um, dolls. dolls, 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 quote unquote, gross. <laughs> My sources were the Dollop Podcast and Britannica.com, and um, the Dollop Podcast lists the, all of their sources as well, so you can hear all that. And my sources were the dailymail.com and all thing all that's interesting.com. Very good. So join us next time for more mayhem, more murder, <clears throat> more snacks. Bye. Bye.